I feel like I need to give a public service announcement. Christmas is in seven days. So for that person who's not yet started shopping, there's your reminder. You're welcome. And for those of you who haven't finished shopping and now I've just stressed you out, I apologize. Um, it's great to see our students down here. Our high schoolers are heading out to winter retreat here after the service this morning. And I uh, just want to say that we're excited for you and praying God meets with you guys in a special way over the next couple of days. Our Advent series we've called The Perfect Christmas. And what we've said each week is usually when we use the language of perfect, we just mean pretty good. Usually when we say perfect, we mean it's as good as it could have possibly been. We experienced this as a family last weekend. Back in March, Maurice and I went uh, to a concert um, with the Fort Worth Symphony Orchestra and uh, kind of had a date night down at Bass Hall. It was great. We had a great experience. And while we were there, she noticed in the program that the Fort Worth Symphony Orchestra was doing a performance of Handel's Messiah. Apparently, they do this every year. This is our 15th Christmas here. We didn't know this. We've never seen this before. And she was like, this would be perfect. We, because uh, last Christmas we did something we'd never done before. We kind of all got dressed up kind of nice, and we went and ate downtown uh, on Sundance Square, and we went and took pictures by the big tree in Sundance Square. And she's like, we could do that again, but then go see Handel's Messiah. It will be perfect. It's going to be great. As it's gotten closer, matter of fact, just the week of the event, um, Garrett's uh, trip home got delayed. Thank you, Ethan Harp. It's your fault. Uh, Ethan and Garrett are uh, students at Trinity Baptist College in Jacksonville, Florida, and Ethan plays basketball, and he had the audacity to have a game on the Saturday after Handel's Messiah. And so uh, they didn't come home until after it was over, and we're like, well, okay, it's not going to be perfect. It's still going to be like the best thing ever. We're still going to get dressed up, go downtown, and take pictures with a tree just without Garrett. Pictures will probably look better. It's great. This is fine. It'll be, it'll be great. I don't know if you remember what the weather was last Saturday, but it was, it, there was a lot of, of liquid falling from the sky. Uh, and I mean like bad, like, like a lot of rain. And so we did not go eat beforehand. Um, and then, um, Bryson had a basketball tournament that day. And so, uh, kind of the excitement of let's have an evening out was kind of like, oh, we've already been gone all day. We're like, well, it's still going to be like better than last year, right? I didn't know, uh, we've never been to any kind of event at uh, Will Rogers before. Um, I didn't know that there's not actually any parking at the Will Rogers, if you've attended an event there. Just a suggestion to the geniuses uh, down there. Some parking lots would be nice. So we parked pretty far away, walked in the pouring down rain into this thing, found our seats. We're like, oh, these are great. We're in, in, in Section J or whatever. Like, this is great. Oh, no, we're in Balcony J. Oops. Uh, we were like three rows from the back wall, and then the boys literally slept through the whole thing. And so this idea of it's going to be perfect really just kind of fell somewhere on the, the spectrum of good, better, best. It, it wasn't really best, and it wasn't necessarily better, but it was good. And so much of our plans end up falling somewhere on that matrix, 
good, better, best. And I want that idea to help guide our conversation through the text this morning. So please grab your Bible if you would. Please, if you do not have one, there should be one underneath the seat in front of you. Uh, If you don't have uh, a Bible, if you don't own one, please keep that. Let that be our gift to you today. But we want to invite you to join with us in our tradition as we hold up our Bibles and say our creed together and our prayer together before we dive in this morning. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Please turn to Galatians chapter 4. It's page 915 if you're using one of those Bibles from the seat there. Galatians chapter 4, not a typical Advent passage. It's where we've been parked for the last few weeks here as we're talking about the perfect Christmas. Our main core central text for this whole series has been verses 4 and 5 here of Galatians chapter 4. It says this, when the fullness of time had come at the perfect season, it was it was the perfect season spiritually. There was this great hunger for God. It was the perfect season culturally. There was essentially one known language on the whole planet. The first time since the Tower of Babel, and it hasn't happened since. It was the perfect season politically. There was this connection of the the Roman road system that made the, the opportunity for good news to spread historical. And it was also the perfect season prophetically. Everything that had been promised about the coming Messiah had finally been fulfilled. It was the perfect season. And that's how meticulous God the Father manages time in your life too. It's the perfect season. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Born of woman, born under the law. He was the perfect person. Fully God, fully man. Fully present and knowable. The eternal pre-existent Son of God in the flesh. So really the first week we focused on, on celebrating a sovereign heavenly Father who rules and reigns and always shows up on time. Last week we really kind of celebrated the person of Jesus, God incarnate, God in the flesh, the Son of God. This week what, what I hope for us to celebrate this morning is the gospel. Gospel means good news. This morning we want to celebrate the perfect reason for the perfect Christmas. It's the gospel. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. And here's the reason. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. I want to talk this morning about the good, better, best of the good news. Gospel means good news. And here's what's good today. Jesus came to redeem us. Jesus came to pay the ultimate price. The word redeem is a financial term. It's a numbers term. It means to buy back. It's, it's like... It's like when you trade money for something else. Technically, every time you buy something, you're redeeming cash for whatever it is that you're trying to buy. It is a, it's an idea of a payment being paid. And the payment, here's the good news. The payment that God sent his son to pay 
redeemed your soul, redeemed your eternity, redeemed your story. The, the perfect reason for Christmas is this. Here's, here's what's good. Jesus came to pay the ultimate price. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 said, You were bought with a price. The only possible response to that, friend, is to glorify God. You were bought with a price. Peter, the Apostle Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, knowing that you were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. What could be more precious than silver and gold? I'll tell you what, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, that's the price that was paid to redeem you. And that's good news. Matter of fact, that's supposed to be such good news that our life kind of orbits around that reality. When our circumstances aren't going away, when we wish our situation was a little different, we're supposed to be anchored, rooted, grounded in the truth that God sent his son to redeem us, to pay the ultimate price. That's what he came to do. It was his intention. It was his plan. All along. One of the weird things about this time of year is, is I have people who buy me Christmas presents with my money. All the parents in the room, you with me? It's a strange thing. It's like, well, thank me, you. I don't know. Right? It's weird. And here's the thing. I, I'm a bargain guy. I don't buy it if it's not on clearance. Like it just doesn't matter what it is. If it's on, if it's not on clearance, I'm not going to buy it, right? Some of you are are that way. Now here's the thing. Here's how they get us. Sometimes I buy stuff I don't need just because it was such a good deal. Anybody else relate with that, right? You're like this, I can't not, (laughs) right? And it's just so weird sometimes when my, my kids will buy me something for Christmas or even Marisa will buy me something for Christmas and they pay full price for it. I'm like, no. Thank you, I mean, right? So I, I'm a child of the 90s. I, I grew up in the height of the Michael Jordan era. Uh, and, and so this particular sweatshirt that I'm wearing today with the plaid Jordan on it, like when I first saw this thing, I was like, ooh, that's cool. And then I made the mistake of touching it because here's the deal. If you look at the tag, it says that this sweatshirt is 50% cloud, 25% pillow, and 25% a hug from Michael Jordan himself, actually. <laughs> it's the softest thing I've ever seen. And I was like, this is awesome. I have to buy this. Ethan was with me. We were in the store when I first saw it. I was like, it's glorious. And then I looked at the price tag. It's like, no, I don't. He's like, he's like, you love this. Why are you not buying it? I'm like, did you see how much it is? He's like, yeah, but whatever. I'm like, I don't pay full price for stuff. Fast forward to a couple of weeks ago, we are in New York City, and we went to uh, the Nike store on Fifth Avenue. It's five stories tall. It's awesome. It's really cool. And we just went for the experience of it. Like, let's just walk in there. And this sweatshirt was hanging there. And I had some cash in my pocket that somebody had given me, and I was like, it's not really my money. <laughs> I hope Dave Ramsey never watches this sermon. <laughs> just stroke out right here. Um, and I thought, you know what? It, like, this is just fun, right? 
to the Nike store on Fifth Avenue. I'm actually going to pay full price for this. This is cool. I'm going to buy this. So I pick it up and I go over to the line. There's only two people ahead of me being helped. They took forever. They took so long to check out that buyer's remorse set in before I bought it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And then I realized that the person who's directly in front of me, there's a language barrier and they can't find an employee who speaks this language to help them check out. And I'm like, I'm going to be here for an hour. This is terrible. I'm going to go put this back. But I didn't. I saw through and I got up and, and the guy scanned it and he said, did you know that this was on sale? And I said, wow, how much? He said, it is 35% off. Right? Some of you who don't care about bargains, you're like, so? The rest of you know this now became my favorite sweatshirt. Here's the point of that story. There was no clearance rack for us. There was no discount plan, no layaway plan, no bargain basement, no blue light special. Jesus Christ came knowing he would have to pay the ultimate price for you, and he never hesitated once. He's never had buyer's remorse. He's never regretted it. He paid the ultimate price for you, and that is good Christmas news today. To redeem... To redeem who? What could be better that Jesus came to pay the ultimate price? Here's what's better. He came to pay the ultimate price to set us free. Because here the Apostle Paul doesn't use the language of to redeem us. He gives a description that's so important to redeem those who were under. That's an important little word. Under the law, we were in bondage to the demand to actually be perfect at Christmas. That, that's the demand of the law. The demand of the law is, hey, you don't need just to have the, the perfect Christmas card to look like you have it all together. You actually have to have it all together or else you're not good enough. That is the, the message of the law. The, the message of the law is you really better have your act together. And that bondage created such a burden on us that even when we were like, oh, I think I have my act together, maybe compared to Fred over here. And then we'd see Bob and we'd be like, well, I don't have my act that much together. Oh, it was this never ending, constant moving target of perfection that none of us could meet. And here's the thing. We were trapped in the demands of the law. As a matter of fact, in the context here of the book of Galatians, if you just look over a page to Galatians chapter 3, this is the explanation that the Apostle Paul gives here to this church. He says, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. The coming faith. You know what that is? That's the language of Advent. The word Advent just means coming or arriving. Until faith, the object of our faith, Advented, we were imprisoned. Then he says this. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. And we might think of guardian and be like, oh, that's good, a guardian. They're looking out for you. No, no, no. Think prison guard. 
This is the good kind of guard. This is the you can't go anywhere guard. We were under a guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. And then you look back over another page, the other direction to the next chapter. Chapter 5 verse 1 says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Here's what's even better than the good news. We've been set free, so we don't have to act like we're under bondage anymore. We don't have to act like we're in slavery anymore. He has set us free. A couple Wednesday nights ago, it was the the final Wednesday night of our community groups for this semester. And so there were parties at the community groups. And so uh, it was just the the Temple Student Ministry leaders, kiddos who were here on campus. And I volunteered to help uh, watch the kiddos. And the reason I know that I volunteered to help the kiddos is because I was told that I had volunteered to help watch the kiddos. When your wife is over children's ministry, that's how that works sometimes, is I was informed of my volunteer status. And so I'm hanging out here with some of the kiddos. And one of the kiddos who was here that night is a fifth grader from Temple Christian School named Exil. And I said, hey, man, tell me, how is school going? And he looked at me like I was the strangest human being that he'd ever seen in his life and went, it's solitary. And it took me a minute because incarceration was not the first thing on my mind when he answered me. I'm like, solitary confinement? Like, what? Okay, first of all, how do you know that word? Second of all, it's school, bro. Dial down the drama, right? Here's the deal. Living under the bondage of perfectionism is actual imprisonment. And the the better than good news is this. Jesus came to set us free from the get-it-all-together game of the law. The pretend, make-believe of the law. What's good? Jesus came to pay the ultimate price. What's better? To set us free. But here's what's best. And to adopt us. Because he, he came to redeem those who were under the law. So that we might receive adoption. It, it's this picture of like, if he, if he paid the price in a, in a 2,000 year old slave market. When we think of slavery today, we, th- we think of it with our country's awful and stained history of slavery. But slavery in biblical times was not relegated to the color of a person's skin or where they were from. There were slaves of every nation, of every tribe, of every tongue. And, and, and this, this picture of this 2,000 year old slave barter where a person's freedom is purchased, and they're like, what could be better than that? And then the person who purchased their freedom said, hey, I'm going to make you one of my kids. <laughs> like, he didn't just set us free and like, hey, good luck with your future. 
He said, hey, you're free and you have a new home. You have a new family. You have a new inheritance. Like he didn't just set us free. He made us his kids. This is the beauty of the gospel. And this is completely contrary to, to the idea of, of humanhood at this time in history. There's some interesting reading leading up to this series about the way kids were viewed at this time of history. In our country today, we talk about this frequently here, we, we have this kind of epidemic that we've made kids the center of the family. We place all of our goals and glories on them, and then they're like, I can't live up to this. That's the opposite of what the world looked like in biblical times. Kids were treated with no value. It was common that a child would be abused. It was common that a child would be physically beaten. It was common that a child would be neglected or abandoned. Any kind of a disability that a child might would have, any kind of poor health, and literally they would be put out with the garbage. Literally, a, a child with a disability or with poor health would be taken outside the city where what we would call the, the dump would be, and the child would be placed with the garbage, and that was accepted. People thought that was normal. That was as normal as putting braces on a credit card. All of my orthodontic parents, feel me? It was common. Poor families typically would just take the life of a baby because they didn't have the resources to care for them. It was common. If they didn't take the life of that child, they would just put them out with the trash, especially for girls. They can't grow up and work and earn wages, and so we're just going to end your life or throw you out. And the incredible thing is there was an entire business platform of people who would watch for kids at the garbage heap. They would take these children. The boys would be forced to be gladiators. The girls would be forced into prostitution. They would be made slaves. This was common. Essentially, in this time in history, a father owned a child like a piece of property. The infant mortality rate was awful at this time. As a matter of fact, you had a 50% chance that your child would not live to age five. Most people at this time in history did not name a child until they saw if they were going to be healthy enough to live. It was common. And this is one particular author that I was reading used this phrase, and I thought it was, was so interesting. He said, the quality of your life was dependent on the character of your father. And I don't just think that was true for a little kid 2,000 years ago. I think that's true for every man and woman and child in this room. The quality of your life is dependent on the character of your heavenly father. And the best news I can tell you this morning is your father's a good daddy. He's good. His character is righteous. And that's our only hope. Our hope 
is that we've got a good dad. We talked last week about how John's gospel doesn't really tell the Christmas story. He really just says a half a sentence. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. But before he said that, he told us why the word was going to take flesh. He told us the perfect reason. Here's the perfect reason. John chapter 1 verse 12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. That's true freedom from the law. We don't have to prove anything. We don't have to earn anything. We're his kids. We've been adopted. It's secure. If redemption is a financial term, adoption is a legal term. We've been declared his. One pastor said this. He said the, the two most important things in the Bible are this. Who is God and who are we? And you can't answer the second question without first answering the first question. Because it's all about him. The Bible's not a book about us. It's a book to us about him. And when we answer the question, who is he, I can begin to understand who am I. And here's who he is. He's a perfect father. And here's who we are in Jesus Christ. We're his kids. That's the best news I know to tell you today. My kids are not going to get a Rolls Royce for Christmas. In a lot of ways, the kind of Christmas you're going to have is dependent on the parents that you have, right? Well, here's some Christmas news for you. Your dad is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He picked you. He adopted you. What's good is that Jesus came to pay the ultimate price. What's better is to set us free. And what's best is in to adopt us. But it's even better than that. Say, what's better than best? Perfect. Here's what's perfect. He came to adopt us with all of the rights and privileges of sons. Because he did not just come to adopt us, he came to adopt us as sons. And if you're sitting there thinking, that sounds sexist. It is. And that's great news for all of us. People who are like, man, I think the Bible is bigoted and sexist. Literally, you've not read this. No, the culture in which the Bible was written was sexist and bigoted. And Jesus came and blew that world system straight on up. Turned it on its head. Because the glory of the gospel is this. You didn't have to actually be a dude to get the privileges of being a dude. At this time in history, there was no vote for women. They didn't have a voice. In most cases, a woman could not own property. In most cases, a woman could not receive inheritance. In most cases, she had no rights in a court of law. And then Jesus comes and says, I give an adoption... That's as though you're a son. That's why in the book of Galatians, he would say, there's no male or female. There's one in Jesus. Turn the whole system on its head. We have adoption as sons. And not just sons like, well, 
I'm on the good list now. Good for me. I mean, sons, like as in he's playing favorites with all of us. <laughs> that's, that's what's implied in the, in the rest of this text. Look at the next two verses. Because your sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, <laughs> Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We're sons. We're adopted with all of the rights and privileges as sons. So intimate that we can say, Abba. Do you see in this text the the difference of a capital letter and how profound it makes? Because your sons, God sent the spirit of his son. Time out. We receive the same title and standing as the second person of the Trinity. Is is anybody else? We are called the sons of God. Like if you weren't here last week and, and you weren't a part of our conversation about the the incarnation, the Son of God in the flesh, that we through Jesus would get the same standing before the throne as the Son of God himself, it would be sacrilegious if he didn't say it himself. We went from being slaves to free to adopted to sons. That intimate relationship that that we're not just sons, we're the sons who can whisper Abba, which is sort of like the equivalent of saying daddy in our culture or Papa. Jesus is the only person in all of recorded scripture who ever called God the Father Abba. And do you know when he did that? It was in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that he would be betrayed. It's the moment where he's praying in anguish. And he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. The moment that he surrendered to the anguish of the cross, the intimate word he whispered to his father was this, Abba. And then he gives us the right and privileges to whisper the same word on Tuesday. On an ordinary, regular day, we get to whisper, Abba. Dr. Russell Moore said, Jesus came to do the opposite of the elf on the shelf method. If, if you don't know what Elf on the Shelf is, you must be over 40 years old. It's this terrible, obligatory prison that parents are stuck in that demands attempts at creativity so that this little stuffed elf can remind our kids that Santa is creepy. He sees you when you're sleeping. Go sit in his lap. Like, ugh. <laughs> this distant, looking for you to do something wrong, 
little stuffed thing that reports to Santa every wrong deed you do. That kind of almost sounds like the law. And then Jesus comes and says, let's just establish a relationship. I'm going to make a way to set you free from this perfectionism. I'm not just going to secure your freedom by paying the price with my life. I'm going to secure your adoption. And I'm not just going to secure your adoption. I'm going to secure you an adoption that gives you the same standing with God that I have. As sons. I think that's just about perfect. (laughs) That's the heart of the gospel. That's the perfect reason that he came. The two most important things in the Bible. Who is God? He's a perfect father. Who are we? We're his adopted sons. All of us. That's the beauty and the glory of the gospel. Now let me say this. There's a really important word that that I want to end with this morning. It's the word receive. That we might receive adoption. I want you to just hang with me because this is this is a, a crucial place for us to land the plane this morning. The good news is that Jesus paid the ultimate price. And the reality is it's a price we never could have paid. He had to pay that price. Do we understand that? So that he could set us free. Do you understand? Slaves don't set themselves free. Even when a slave escapes, they're still known as a slave. They're on the run for the rest of their life. They're not really free. Only someone else can set me free. He has to initiate my freedom. Adoption? We live in a weird time in our culture. But we haven't figured out yet how you can adopt yourself. We can do a lot of crazy things. But you can't adopt you. Somebody else has to do that. And then this idea of being a son. I didn't choose what family I was born into. I did not choose the gender that God assigned me in the womb. He did that. Everything that's perfect and beautiful about the gospel was all by his doing All by his effort. All by his initiating. Do we understand that this morning? Like if we'd have made a a wish list for the first Christmas, we wouldn't even been bold enough to ask for that. He had to start it all. Which means he's worthy of our praise. It means he's worthy of our glory. He initiated to come pay a price we couldn't fathom. He came to do more than that to set us free on a level we couldn't fathom. He came to do more than that to adopt us. And he came to do more than that. To give us the rights and privileges of sons in the kingdom of God. Only he could do that. We couldn't do that for ourselves. Therefore, he alone gets the glory. And he alone should be praised. He's a perfect father. And we're his adopted sons. I just think that's perfect. 
The question this morning is, have you received your certificate of adoption? Jesus would call that being born again. It's a whole new beginning. It's entering into a relationship with the living God. And and sometimes I, I talk to people who would say, hey, I think that I've done that. I mean, when I was a kid, I'm told that I prayed a prayer. I think I was baptized. Somebody told me. My grandma has pictures of it. I, I hope so. And I'm just here to tell you that the, the perfection of the gospel is so far beyond I think so, I hope so, maybe so. Listen, an adopted son knows whose he is. You can know today that you have a relationship with God, that you've given your life to him. And then just like I said last week, I'm not just asking, have you given your future to Jesus? Are you trusting him with your present? With your current fears, doubts, worries, joys? Are you trusting him right here, right now? And then I would ask this. Is he the glory that gets you up in the morning? Are you living for his renown and for the praise of the glory of his gospel? He's worthy to be praised.